Hello everyone and welcome to the long-awaited episode 10. Yes, we are finally into double figures, episode 10 of the Fantastic Books Gaming Podcast with me, Dan Grubb. It has been a while, to say the least. Um, the reason being, there's been no content because there's been no conventions and we haven't been playing games because we've been developing our very first game and I am extremely pleased to tell you all, uh, for those of you that don't know, that although the Gorgon's Lock uh, Kickstarter failed the first time around with the first UK lockdown, the second UK lockdown actually did us quite a lot of favours. And as a result, I'm very pleased to say that we are funded and development is well underway. So thanks to all the, uh, all the help and, uh, and hard work and, and, um, and content creators just diving in and helping us out for the first run, uh, we have everything we need for the game to the point that we are now actually sitting here in Poland, which is where I am at the moment with my dear wife for a few weeks, awaiting the arrival of the prototype from the Chinese manufacturers. Uh, super happy with everything they've sent so far, but of course it's all been digital. There hasn't been any real stuff sent. So until we actually get our hands on the thing, we have no idea about uh, uh, about uh, quality of printing, durability and this sort of thing, which of course is the primary concern for, for a game like ours, because a game like ours is going to endure. We hope um, longevity has been designed into the thing from the from the outset and as a result things like expansion packs and homebrews and replayability and also the ability to uh, clack our pieces up against um, other, uh, other other games board pieces to create to essentially be a larger expansion pack for more complex games that's all been built into the design so I'm very pleased to say that the Gorgon's Loch is well on its way. Um, there have been a couple of changes a couple of major changes, actually. Uh, one of the one of the major rule changes that's kind of it got slipped by in the Kickstarter, but it has made a huge difference. At the uh, the the previous version, um, uh, characters were allowed to pass through each other um, as long as there was an empty space on the other side, but enemies were not. Now this caused an issue in things like corridors where you have the Gorgon Queen. Um, ready to attack a dilapidated party and wipe them out, except for a single goblin. Because the single goblin, between her and the rest of the party, is not being attacked by the party, is being left alone by the party, the goblin can't die via a counter-attack, because there's no counter-attack mechanic in the Gorgon's Lock. As a result, that goblin could be used strategically to hold off the Gorgon Queen forever, which of course isn't fair. So we have now... Uh, added the rule that, as well as the characters, enemies themselves can now pass through each other as long as there's empty spaces at the other side. And that's definitely speeded up gameplay. That stopped a lot of the clogging issues in corridors. And it's removed a couple of the more uh, subtle strategic um, areas where the more, um, the more strategically minded uh, and experienced player could, could exploit that aspect of the game. So that's kind of evened the playing field a little bit as well. Uh, trading was something that we were looking at and we've added another major rule with the trading. Um, now, trading among among the party itself during live play is exactly the same as it always has been. Everything's consensual, whether you're giving or taking stuff. It costs one action point per item and that's whether you're giving or taking it because, of course, you know, in, if in your turn you have a conversation with 
the, the, the player character next to you and say, you know, can I have your second bow, please? I don't have a ranged weapon. They say, yes, it's going to cost you one action points to take that bow off them. Um, and because it's your turn, it's going to be one of your action points. OK, so reasonably simple stuff for trading. However, we didn't used to allow diagonal trading. And now we do. Why? Because we allow diagonal attacks and, uh, and diagonal movement. So why on earth wouldn't we allow diagonal trading? If you can throw a sword or fire an arrow diagonally, uh, why wouldn't you swing a sword, sorry, then why wouldn't you be able to pass a health potion or similar diagonally? So, so we've added that as well. Um, a major, the, the major trading aspect that's been added is actually for those of you who are going to be playing more than one of the scenarios at a time, or for those of you that are going to be working through all six of the scenarios, maybe over a couple of three days. And this is trading that happens between scenarios. So those of you in the know, um, the, uh, the campaign itself, uh, the initial campaign that comes with the box has six dungeons in it, and they get progressively harder, and the number and type of enemies gets progressively harder and, and larger as, as you go through. Um, and the methods of completing the dungeon get a little more complex each time. However, what, uh, what's important is that uh, for those of you who are working through all the dungeons rather than playing a single dungeon as a standalone game, which of course they are perfectly playable as, uh, you can go ahead and look at the Kickstarter page and, um, and you'll see me playing a variety, me playing all six as standalone um, a, a standalone place from the start and uh, with with varying degrees of success I might add um, but uh, if you are playing the the whole campaign through or you want to play two or three of the of the dungeons in one evening then of course there's going to be a time after one dungeon where you're busily setting up for the next dungeon and all of the things that you've got yourself and collected for the first dungeon uh, will be sitting there in your hand awaiting starting the next dungeon so what do you do if one of your one of your teammates has been killed, for example, and they lost all three lives and therefore they weren't allowed to join you in the dungeon to join with join in with your success, but they are allowed to join you once again at the start of the next dungeon. But when they start, they're going to have nothing at all. And the last thing you want to do is spend the first couple or three rounds of your action points stocking them up with magical scrolls and health potions and weapons and all the rest of it. So we've decided that trading at, uh, at turn end is free. So once a campaign is out, sorry, once a scenario is over, once you've completed a dungeon, even if you were killed in it, if you and your, and your party are, you know, all, you know, everyone consents, you can go ahead and you can share things like health potions and, and weapons and armour and magical scrolls, etc. Uh, and even treasure if you want to, uh, among yourselves. Now, the extra trade mechanic we've added to this is that you can now buy yourself a health point buffer. Now, this isn't an additive to the health points that you're going to roll to start the next scenario. This is simply a buffer, a minimum amount of health points. Now, that's going to cost you 10 gold pieces worth of stuff per health point. We're not going to allow you to throw 120 piece, gold pieces into the mix and, and start the next dungeon with maximum health. But we are going to allow you to give yourself up to a maximum of six health points as a health point buffer. Now, what does this mean if you throw if you throw a two and a three when you're rolling for health points at the next one? Um, it means that you don't start with five, you start with six. What does it mean if you roll a five and a two? 
it means that you start with seven and not six. It's just a buffer. It's a minimum. There is no additive value to this. Now, in the first couple of dungeons, perhaps that's not so important. The sort of enemies you're dealing with are goblins and skeletons, the odd skeletal bowmen. Uh, and in the second dungeon, you know, there's some wild hounds thrown into the mix as well. But these aren't massively powerful enemies. So you can kind of get away with starting the game with pretty rubbish low health points if you are unlucky enough to roll them. However, in the later levels, the last thing you want to do is suddenly spawn the Gorgon Queen on your first, en on your first, uh, the, the first enemy you pull out of the, of the enemy card and find yourself that you've rolled snake eyes for your starting health point. So the opportunity to pay for a health buffer becomes more and more important as the scenarios go on. So that's why we've introduced that. The only other major change, apart from the usual um, ubiquitous art tweaks and things, and we did find a couple of typos in the rule book and that sort of thing, um, but the only really major change um, beyond uh, 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 the ones that I've already mentioned is a mechanical one, and that is the action and health point counters. How do you count your action points and health points? Well, in the first instance, we used a double dial. And you'd start your turn. The very first thing you do is you roll 2d6 to determine your health point, And you would mark that on the right-hand side dial, uh, which goes from 12 all the way down to death. And on the left-hand side, your action points at the start of every turn, you would roll 2d6 to determine how many action points you have. And you would use those action points to give, take, use, fight, search and move your way around the magical dungeon using the storm system. Now... What we found was, although the right-hand side, the health point counter, which essentially gets, gets, um, gets, uh, gets turned once in a large manner, hopefully, if you roll enough at the start of the game, and then is moved a single number at a time, if, you know, unless you're very unlucky and something takes out four or five health points at a time. But my point is, the health point counter was moved very, very little. In fact, f uh, over many turns, it could just sit there on the same number. And as a result, from a mechanical standpoint, that right-hand dial didn't take a lot of hammer. It, it didn't get damaged. The left one, however, every single turn, you are rolling for action points, you are marking the starting action points, and then as you're completing various tasks... Because in the Gorgon's Lock there is no combat phase or movement phase or trading phase or magic phase, you can do anything you want. Up to a maximum of four, four turns of combat, up to a maximum of four searches. Um, you can move as many action points as you have. You can trade as many action points as you, as you have items. So what we found is that people were going through various combat phases and moving the action point counter and then they were going through various trade phases and they were moving the action point counter and the result was that the left hand dial was doing about 10 times more work than the right hand dial was and as a result after hundreds and hundreds of hours of play testing and uh, and demoing and and of course all the all the video content we've done for you guys throughout the two kickstarters we found that those dials were getting super super tight and horrid and they were they were, they were harsh on the finger ends to use because it wasn't very thick cardboard either. It was quite thin, quite hard cardboard. So it was getting close to kind of paper cut territory at the end, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm perfectly honest. So we thought there's one weak link. There's one weak link mechanically in the whole box. There's one weak link and that's the moving part. We've got two moving parts, the two sides of this dial. Now, the dial needs to keep track of your health points, of course, and it needs to keep track of your action points, of course. But how do we track them 
without introducing some kind of mechanical thing. Well, it wasn't until we went to Mark Cook and the team's um, uh, Aircon event in Harrogate that uh, they're doing an air can't this year uh, for obvious reasons, but next year they'll be back, um, that we were given the suggestion by many, many people who came down and kind of noticed that these dials were getting a little bit squirrely and a little bit tight, of a ladder system, a ladder and cube system. So we designed a, a long, oblong-shaped uh, ladder with action points on the left-hand side, health points on the right-hand side, uh, using exactly the same beautiful artwork that Gabby had prepared for the dials, um, and uh, a red and a blue sort of translucent cube that fits into one of 12 holes on the left and 12 holes on the right. Um, this is a wonder... Sorry, uh, 13 holes on the right, of course. So we're marking zero action points all the way up to 12 action points, so 13 holes on either side. So imagine two vertical ladders of square holes. Now, initially, when we designed this thing, we wanted to make it teeny tiny and it would just fit nicely in front of the characters and that was all fine. But in order to do that and maintain the structural stability of the thing, the holes themselves would have had to have been four millimetres by four millimetres, meaning teeny tiny, weeny, weeny little cubes and they, just, the, just the idea of handling something like that irritated me. So I decided, nope, we want to go for at least a 10 mil cube on either side. So we scrapped the design and began again. And this time we began with the ergonomics of actually handling one of these cubes. And then we spoke to our manufacturers and said to them, we want you to make this action and health point counter board out of exactly the same durable cardstock that you're making the rest of the board pieces out of. Why? Because we want it to last at least as long as the board pieces. When we release expansion packs, the expansion packs are going to come with extra board pieces, as well as extra standees and extra scenarios and extra dungeons, etc, etc. So we want this game to endure. The longevity has been built into it. So why wouldn't we build longevity into the action point counters? So that's precisely what we've done. So although I haven't seen it in the flesh yet... I have seen a video and I have seen very detailed photography of the printed prototype of this action and health point counter. And it is a thing of great beauty. I won't give you the dimensions, um, but I mean, it started off at nearly 30 centimetres. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Something the size of a ruler, like at school, but three or four times as wide. Absolutely fabulous. And then the manufacturer reminded me that the box itself is 28 by 28 centimetres. So... A redesign <laughs> was in order. Um, for the second or third editions, if people think that the action and health point counters are a bit too large, what we can do is we can reduce the height of the things, increase the width of the things, and have the path that the 0 to 12 for action points or death to 12 for health points path takes made a bit wiggly. And we can kind of put these cubes on a wiggly line and therefore reduce the height of the things and increase the width of the things. And that might, might, that might turn out to be a slightly more ergonomically comfortable method of tracking action and health points. But essentially, for this first release, for this first edition, for the Kickstarter release, and for the remainder of this first run of the retail release, um, because there's going to be a thousand boxes, of course, ordered hopefully within the next week or two, to arrive in the UK in the next month and a half, uh, it's exciting. We are at a very, very exciting stage. So I've seen lots of videos of the, um, uh, of the box itself, of the components inside. I'm really, really happy. I can't wait to get my hands on them. Um, it, it, I think it was 
April the 2nd when episode 9 came out. April the 2nd last year. So it's been very close to an entire year since, uh, since I last recorded a podcast. So do please forgive the lack of comms. But I, I had nothing to tell you beyond the fact that we were running the Kickstarter and it was going to be a, a crazy roller coaster ride, which of course it was. For those of you tracking the Kickstarter, we were at about 22 or 23% funded um, for the vast majority of it. We had a really good start, a terribly quiet plateau. And then right in the last, I think the last, the last week and a half, maybe the last two weeks, suddenly someone dropped in thousands of pounds to get it over the line. And they joined us as one of our founders. Now, for GDPR reasons, I can't tell you who, but, and I can't, of course, I can't tell you how much, but what they did was essentially ensure at that point, overnight, um, that the Gorgon's Lock was going to be a reality and was going to make it to your gaming table, if indeed you're a backer yet. If you're not a backer, go and go to the Kickstarter page, go and read about the game, and I hope I can convince you to become a backer because we do have a live pledge manager. In that pledge manager, you can go ahead and grab yourself a copy of the game for 35 quid plus shipping. Um, you can also grab yourself a beautiful Gorgon's Lock dice tray. Um, you can grab any of six different types of dice sets to improve the look of your game as well. Um, and and the, yeah, and the, there's all sorts on there. So go and check out the Pledge Manager. The way you get to the Pledge Manager, incidentally, is by going to the Kickstarter uh, and then clicking on the button that would have said uh, Pledge Now, but now that it's over, it says something along the lines of Join the Adventure. And when you click that, it'll take you to the Pledge Manager page to go and sign up. If you are a backer already... You don't need to go to that page and sign up. You should have received an email to take you straight to your own account anyway. We've got your details and Pledge Manager should have been in touch already. If they haven't, give me a nudge and I will let them know. So, so concludes this short but hopefully informative uh, podcast about uh, the Gorgon's Lock, which is imminent. And it's super exciting, guys, because as soon as this game drops, then I can actually start telling you exclusive things about the expansion packs. Now, of course, we haven't just been sitting on our hands since the Kickstarter. In fact, we've been extremely busy trying to get this thing as, uh, as onto tables as quickly as possible, as, as possible without, um, without compromising quality, of course. And in doing so, we've been having lots and lots of chats about expansion packs. And we have about six expansion packs already just planned out and and I'm really enjoying writing the scenarios. I'm working with some really talented third-party writers, which we haven't before. I wrote all of the original scenarios myself. So we're now working with third-party writers as well who love the game, who really want to be involved. So they're helping to get some of these expansion packs together as well. Uh, some of the Kickstarter backers backed us at a level where they're helping to name new characters and name animals. Big shout-out to Tika here. Um, that's that's one of the that's one of a, a beloved, um, sadly late pet of a dear friend of the company who will be immortalised in one of our first expansion packs. Uh, yeah, it's exciting times, guys. So Fantastic Books Gaming is alive and kicking, as is our mum company, Fantastic Books Publishing. And I just thought I'd drop in to say everything's going well and go and check out the Kickstarter page if you want to see how it's going because I am updating there probably every three or four days with. At the very least, a few comments in the comments section, uh, if not an actual update. If you're not a backer, you can't comment, but um, all the updates are free and open to the public, whether you're a backer or not. So you can keep an eye on what's going on via the 
Kickstarter updates. Okay, so that's it. Uh, oh, and the uh, web address, of course, to get you to the Kickstarter page is bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash, and it's T-G-L relaunch, the Gorgon's Lock relaunch. T-G-L is capitals, relaunch is all lowercase. So that's lowercase B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash, and then capital T, capital G, capital L, and then all lowercase, relaunch, R-E, L-A-U-N-C-H. So this is Dan Grubb from Fantastic Books Gaming signing off from the Fantastic Books Gaming podcast, episode 10. Thanks very much. Hooray! (laughs) 